profissionais da comunicação social depois do jogo Benfica-Santa Clara. O sindicato considera que as suspeitas lançadas pelo técnico são graves e ponham em xeque toda uma classe profissional. Na ausência dessas provas, o sindicato dos jornalistas exige a Bruno Lange que se retrate publicamente e existe também ao Benfica que se demarque das declarações do treinador. Nacional de Imprensa Desportiva, também veio a público condenar com veemência as afirmações de Laje, que no fim da derrota caseira dos encarnados frente ao Santa Clara, sugeriu que alguns jornalistas estariam a tentar promover a entrada de um substituto do técnico e questionou quem pagaria aos jornalistas jantares e viagens. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 63 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinho. As you could hear from that opening, it's not going to be a fun one tonight, all right? A lot has happened. There's a lot to talk about. I'm going to try to keep this episode under two hours tonight because there's just so much to talk about. And there's another game coming up in just a few days. So, um... Man, where do you begin? You heard it there. You heard the goal from Zeb Manel that buried Benfica, that basically all but ended the title hopes there um, at the empty Stadio de Luz. You wouldn't know it from the great uh, the great sound engineering of BTV, uh, piping in some crowd noise for that match. Unfortunately, um, that crowd noise they should have bumped in, they should have piped in, excuse me, some boos or some some whistles because um, that crowd, that fake crowd, was cheering when Santa Clara took the lead. Although, how bad would how bad would a a crowd have turned on this Benfica team in that match? Okay, um, it's hard to say, but I'll tell you one thing: I am sick of hearing about the crowd. I'm sick of hearing about this empty stadium and that. We're, we're talking and we're acting like we're dropping points because there's no fans in the stadium. If that's the case, then our team is no good. Our team is not professional. Our team is not is not level-headed. Our team is not inspired. Okay? And as someone who has worked hard um, to make a living as a coach in the past, okay? Very hard to make a living doing that, um, I think. Anyone out there who's tried can attest to that, okay? It's very hard to make a living. You don't get paid much until you get to the the big time. And it's hard hard to survive on that. And um, I say that because it's always a sense of subject with me when we talk about sacking a manager, okay? It's always a sensitive subject. I don't like to see any managers, any coaches, especially the staff, lose their job, okay? And I'm not talking necessarily about Bruno Lage. Bruno Lage is going to get a nice deal out of this. If and when he finally gets dismissed, you know, Benfica's going to have to pay him some good money because they were wise enough to sign him until 2024. And for those of you watching on YouTube right now, okay, some of you can see me on YouTube. You see my hand is going up. I'm one of the ones that was wrong. I'm going to admit it. I was wrong. A year ago, six months ago, a year ago, I think it was, at the end of last season, when this manager was re-signed to this contract. I was wrong. It's becoming obvious. We don't have the next Jose Mourinho on our hands, at least not yet. I got caught up in the fairy tale that was Bruno Lage last season. I owe 
the existence of this podcast to Bruno Leish. Make no mistake about it. If he doesn't have that start that he had last year, last January, January of 2019, who knows if I ever get this podcast off the ground? Who knows if I ever, you know, put into motion my hopes and my plans of having a Benfica-themed podcast? And with that, in the way that Benfica played under Bruno Leish in 2019, Okay, if you want to look at it just from results, from January to the end of 2019, I don't think any Benfica manager has ever had a better record in a calendar year. But we were all fooled, myself included, I think. Nothing goes that well and that perfect forever. And I got caught up in the romanticism, if you will. I got caught up in the fairy tale that we had in our hands here the next great manager in world football. Maybe the next, I said Mourinho, could, we could say the next Pep Guardiola because Pep took a similar role, at least in his coaching career. He took a similar path from coaching Barcelona B to, the Bar- to Barcelona's first team and the rest is history. I thought maybe we had something like that here with Bruno Lage where, you know, 10 years from now we're talking about a manager on top of the world. And, I mean... Something happened, okay? Something has happened in that team. Something has happened in that locker room. Something has happened in the board. Something has happened in the mind of Bruno Leish, okay? He's not the same manager he was a year ago. Those of you listening in podcast form that are listening to the podcast, you heard at the end of the intro there, Bruno Leish, first in the Flash interview where... At the time, I didn't think anything of it, but his players took exception to his flash interview where they felt he threw them under the bus. I think they're a little bit too pampered and too babied, if you ask me. That's what I think about about these Benfica players, okay? I think there's way too much ego and not enough output from the men in that locker room, okay? By and large, the the majority of that team has an attitude problem. From what I can see, they have a motivation problem. From what I can see, and clearly their egos are bigger than than um, what they're giving. And you heard him sort of do that. And then in the post game press conference, he it just goes into the bizarro world where he just starts to accuse the media of all people. And I am no listen. I put my hand up again. I am no fan of the media. Okay. I uh, I think the media's pretty much garbage. Whether it's in Portugal, in the United States, in Britain, people in media, in the work that media does right now is is horrible in my opinion. It's irresponsible. It is looking just for clickbait and for emotional responses. It's not looking for facts. And they're no different in Portugal. The sports media is no different. They're trying to sell a story just like any other media. And Bruno Lage, you know, makes really some foolish comments where he starts he starts to accuse the media of conspiring to get him out of his seat. No, Bruno Lage, they don't care if you get out of your seat. They just want to tell the story. Okay? Bruno Lage, someone who a year ago was giving lessons in football, was giving lessons in class, lessons in respect, lessons in decency in his press conferences, now has resorted to basically 
he's basically gone into survival mode where he feels, listen, this is a manager who does not feel supported. You can see it, okay? I, I think he feels his players don't listen to him. He feels he's losing the support of his board. And he feels attacked by the media. He knows fans are not on board with him anymore also. Listen, these guys, whether they're players, whether they're staff, whether they're coaches, whether they're the president, the board, they all have grasp of what the fans think. They have a grasp on the pulse of the fan base, okay? Don't ever believe a manager or a player or a president who tells you they don't read the headlines. They all do, okay? Um, they all do. And if they don't read it, someone reads it for them and gives them a, a quick summary of what's out there. They all read that. And listen, again, I really am sensitive to this, but I think it's time for Bruno Leisch to go. Obviously, he's not going to step down. There's a lot of money that's owed to him, and I wouldn't do that in my job. I don't think any of you listening would step down from your job if you had that kind of money left on the table to earn. Okay, you would tell your boss, I'll leave, but we're going to make a deal before I leave. I'm not going for free. Okay, he was, he was, it's not his fault they offered him a contract that was way too long, um, long range in time. It's not his fault that they offered him $2 million a year or whatever it is that he's being offered and that they now owe him. Okay. That contract was proposed. He accepted it. Any one of us would have done the same thing. No one's going to get a contract for five years or a four-year extension at, uh, let's just say, $2 million a year. I don't know the exact figures. And say, no, 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 Mr. President, you know, this is things could go wrong. Let's, let's cut that back to two years, and, and, you know, I think you're overpaying me. No, nobody's going to do that. So anyone who wants him to just walk away because he's a quote-unquote Benfiquista, even a Benfiquista, he still has a family. He still has bank accounts. He has bills. He still needs to be paid. He's not just going to walk away from this this life-changing money that is owed to him. Okay, so I have to dismiss that claim. Now, I do believe in my gut instinct. Okay, and I have been sacked. Okay, let, let me say that first. I know what it's like to be sacked. I know what it's like to be an assistant and have the head man get sacked. I know what it's like, okay? This is not just about Bruno Lage. This is about Nelson Verissimo. This is about Johnny de Conceição. This is about the entire staff. If Bruno Lage goes, they're going too, for the most part. Okay, there's a few elements of the staff that will stay. Pietra will probably stay on. Um, although, if you read Abala, they're saying that Luizão will be part of the next regime, the next coaching regime. Luizão will be inserted in the technical staff of the next manager. So there are the way a staff is built, there's there's the close coaching staff which the the manager brings with him or it's it's his close confidants, right? And I mentioned their names, Nelson Verissimo, Johnny the Conceição. Okay? They were all with Bruno Lage when he was with Carlos Carvalhal at Swansea and at West Brom uh, not West Brom, excuse me, at Sheffield Wednesday. Okay? They were with him. Okay, that is his staff. Befica also has elements of the staff that they named. Pietra, I mentioned his name, okay? Um, so, they're ha going to have to figure out what every single one of those staff members' role is going to be, who's going to be dismissed, who's going to stay, and how much do they owe each dismissed member. So, 
Firings are not as simple as they sound, or sackings. Okay, they're not as simple as they sound. With that said, okay, I do believe that behind the scenes, talks have, have begun. I think Bruno Lage gave the team the day off the morning after the match because I believe he had conversations with the president or with the with you know um with the the director of football if if Huikosta is still that. I don't know what his job is, to be honest. Other than to give a couple pointers from the sideline and be videotaped at the match. Um so I don't know, but I do believe that talks have begun, okay? We'll talk in the news segment about the rumors about who may be coming or who the press thinks is coming. Um, very sad, okay? Because I think Bruno Lage is at a point of desperation. I think that that press conference shows that he's no longer mentally fit to do this job. And what I mean by that, the stress has been overwhelmed. He knows he doesn't have the support of the locker room. And no matter whose fault it is, once the manager loses the locker room, there's nothing he can do there anymore, okay? Um so, I think it's time to move on. And I'm not, you know, it's not easy. There are people that are going to be hurt by this. There are people who are going to lose their jobs. Not everybody's going to find a new one. Bruno Lage will find a new one. I'm not so worried about him. But there are people that work under him that may have a harder time in the future finding work. All right. This is episode 63 of Mr. Befica. Like I said, we're going to get into the news right after this this message. We're going to pay a bill real quick, and then we'll get into the news. And unfortunately, after that, we're going to have to sit here and unravel all that was Benfica 3, Santa Clara 4 in round 27 of the Liga Nage. This is Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu. You can follow me on Twitter at... Benfica Mister on Instagram at Mr. Benfica on Facebook by typing www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. Don't forget to check out Mr. Benfica.com. And if you're watching on YouTube right now, this is where I say goodbye to YouTube. And remember, right down there, hit subscribe. All right, so you can get more stuff from Mr. Benfica going forward. We'll be right back after this message. In the news this week, aside from the obvious, of course, is the mini-mini. We'll start with the mini-mini rumors swirling around the club right now, as everybody should know, unless you've been living under a rock, and in which case you're probably not listening to this podcast. Um, the rumors is about, of course, who the manager will be. And as of right now, Bruno Lage is still the manager, and I have my doubts that Luis Felipe Vieira is going to pull the trigger in time to make the switch that needs to happen. Um, I've said already before how I feel about coaching changes and, and all, all that goes into it, but there are three front runners right now, okay, by all inter all uh, for all intents and purposes, all sources indicating. Three names continue to, to be at the top of the list. Of course, Georges Jesus, as always, is being... Um, is being uh, listed as the favorite to take over 
the position in the absence or in replacement of Bruno Lage. However, um, despite the very low buyout clause with Flamengo, Benfica would have to take on a, a very high salary of Jorge Jesus of around 4 million euros a year, more than double what the current manager is making. And they'd still have to convince Jorge Jesus to leave Flamengo at this time and um, to come to a club that, that, quite frankly, is in a crisis mode. And I don't believe Benfica or Luis Felipe Vieira, no matter what the press says, is prepared to to invest the type of uh, to invest the type of money and to bring the type of of players into the club that George Jesus would demand. Okay, so I really have my doubts about JJ. I'll continue to doubt that. I'll believe it when I see it. Okay, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, Benfica do not have the financial means that Flamengo have. Don't fool yourself for a second. Okay, uh, things might we might look good, and I also not so sure our our finances are as good as as Vieta is telling us. Okay, um, they may be all right, and in comparison to our rivals, they're probably pretty good. But the type of investment it would take to please Jorge Jesus to leave Flamengo to come to back to Benfica, um, and the type of investment in in the roster that it would take. Uh, still has me thinking it's very unlikely. I know mo- a lot of you will not agree with that. A lot of people want to see George Zouge back. Uh, it's not that I don't. It's just that I don't believe it at this time. The other two names near the top, of course, in Greece, the 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 press has pointed Marco Silva as as the front runner to replace Bruno Lage. Of course, that is if and when Bruno Lage is dismissed. Um, I well. When George Jesus originally left Benfica some time ago, you know, all those years back when we hired Rui Vitoria, I was hoping we were going to hire Marco Silva at that time, okay? Marco Silva's had a turbulent career since then. I mean, he made a name bringing Istorio from the second division to the Europa League and then winning a Taça de Portugal with Sporting, okay? So he has merit. He, won, he was champion with Olympiacos in Greece, but who has not been champion with Olympiacos in Greece? Just about any manager that has managed them has won the title. So it's not to say that that's a great uh, accomplishment. Followed him in the Premier League. It was very interesting run for him in the Premier League where he'd get sacked and then get a better job. He went to Hull. He got relegated, sacked, got signed by Watford. Okay, he was sacked by Watford and he got his the job that he really wanted uh, at Everton. So and then he was sacked in December from Everton. So he is available. He's sitting around uh, collecting, you know, collecting a paycheck for for not working for Everton right now and um I think he's the most re- I think he's the most realistic uh replacement at this time especially if it's going to come now but uh I have a hard time believing that the club is going to make a change while this season continues and I think that's a mistake. I think the the, the change needs to come right now because I think that if it's not done right now you're not giving this next manager a chance. Um it's essentially the club's giving up on this season if they're going to see out Bruno Lage till the end of the season, okay? I don't believe Bruno Lage has conditions to continue to work. There's no way. Once you get this far, the manager cannot do his job anymore and a change needs to be made. The other f- name that has been toted up courtesy of L'Equipe in France is Paulo Souza. Okay, Paulo Souza is an interesting one. I think he's a fantastic manager, by the way. And I would have no issue seeing him manage Benfica. I know a lot of people my age have other have other feelings. There's still there's still a lot of deep, deep uh feelings of anger and of betrayal towards 
Paulo Souza for the hot summer, of course, of Verão Kent of 1993 when he left Benfica as a player and joined Sporting um, at a time when Benfica were in a financial just crisis. Um, a lot of people I know have not forgiven him and he's considered a traitor by many. But as far as, as a manager, he's a good manager and what a, and maybe he deserves the chance to... to to re reconquer the hearts of Benficaishas, uh, we know Pacheco has come back into the good graces of the supporters in the past couple of years. Pacheco was just as much of a traitor as as Paulo Souza, and I think Paulo Souza deserves a chance to to reclaim the hearts and deserves a chance to redeem himself with the club. In my opinion, I mean, he was with the club for for a long time, coming through his formation, through his formation, through his youth. Uh, academy days rose to the first team even went in goal one match he even he even put on the goal goalkeeping jersey one match to finish out a match in goal to hold on to a result when uh when Nenu had been sent off with no substitutes remaining so i will not be upset to see paulo souza take over um I think Marco Silva may be the most likely if if the change is even made at all but um that will remain to be seen Spe speaking with Abola, former Portugal, excuse me, former Benfica manager and former player, Tony, uh, he told Abola that if the players have in fact lost their confidence in the manager, then this dismissal is inevitable. Um, it looks like they've lost confidence in the manager. You know, you heard about it there at the top in the opening segment, what I thought about it. Um, Bruno Lage, I think, sees that the players have lost their confidence. He's he's hit a point where he is in survival mode in terms of um, he's in a me against the world kind of mode. I think that explains his recent comments that are just bizarre, and and um, I mean I think a change has to come. I hate to see coaches replaced. <laughs> I mean I feel like a part of me will always belong to the coaching fraternity, and it it is a very um, it's a very sobering reality, and let me tell you, it's not fun to be sacked. It, it is a very painful experience, and it's not about just the manager. It's about the entire staff. There are people in the staff that lose their job through no fault of their own. So even though it is a, it is a difficult situation, I think it's a change that needs to be made, and preferably it should have been made in time for Monday's match. It does not look like that's going to be the case. Now, um, other news. We have the announcement from UEFA this week that Benfica's youth league match, their th their quarterfinal match against against Dinamo Zagreb, will be played in Switzerland at a neutral ground in Neon, uh, the site that is hosting the final four of this uh, UEFA youth league. So Benfica's youth U19 team is three victories away from being European champions. Be interesting to see what kind of form they're going to be in when they return to the pitch uh, in. August, of course. August 19th is the scheduled date for that match with Dinamo Zagreb. All right, going back to the first team, we have just a few scratch. We're going to announce the scratches for Monday's match against Maritimu. So, in addition to the injuries, which are, of course, Grimaldo, Jardel, and David Tavares, who's out due to illness. So, Grimaldo out with a knee injury, Jardel with a thigh injury, and David Tavares with a virus. 
I don't believe that Jardel will be ready to play yet, so I'm, I'm going to include him in this injury list. You can also now add the, the players that are suspended, of course, Ruben Diaz and Gabriel suspended from, from this match due to card accumulations. So I think finally we're going to see Andreas Samaric line up in the back four. Uh, a change that, in my opinion, should have happened a long time ago. And um, perhaps we'd still be leading the league if that change had been made. That's just my opinion. It's always easy to, to be on the outside and comment inward. But that's just the way that from what I've been watching and from what I've seen, I felt that, that that's the change that should have been made like right after this first game on the return from, uh, from the COVID uh, break. Changing gears now to women's football. Benfica's women's football team will return to training July the 1st to prepare for the new season. And some news coming out today, according to Avala, of course. Um, defender Diane has announced via her social media that she will not be returning to the Lady Aguias for the 2020-2021 season. Of course, remember that last season was terminated by the FPF. Um, they did not get a chance to come back and complete it, which I think is an absolute shame. And I think that in itself is a little bit of gender discrimination on behalf of the FPF. They're going to say that they shut down all their competitions. I, I in, speaking in a technical sense, they did. They did shut down all the FPF run competitions. However, the first division men's team, you know, the first division men's league continued, and I, I felt that the women's should have been brought back under similar circumstances or even under some form of playoff to crown a champion. Um, unfortunately, the they could have at the very least completed the two cup competitions given that Benfica were on their way to the League Cup final against Braga and they were in the last four of the Portuguese Cup. I don't understand why FPF couldn't have just put put the 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 Portuguese Cup back into the plans and completed that before the end of the season. So Benfica with the only trophy in women's football in Portugal last year winning the Super Cup. And now we're going to start over starting July 1st. Like we said, Diane has left the team. And I suspect that this is uh, the first of quite a few that are going to be leaving the team. Not through Benfica's fault in this case. Um, I think this has a lot more to do with FPF's ridiculous, ridiculous insertion of a salary cap in women's football. Um, if you don't know, they made a very controversial ruling uh, some time ago, and a lot of the professional, the professional women's athletes are have have spoken out against this, that their salaries are being reduced, and that the the salary cap per team in the league is ridiculously low, and there's no way that Benfica can field a team um, under the <laughs> under those circumstances that can can keep the players that they have. So I. I do suspect we're going to see quite a few players leave. And uh, this is a real, real um, kick in the knee to women's football in Portugal. All the great progress that had been made. FPF just set it back five years with this ridiculous ruling. They've also reduced the roster sizes and increased the league. The league will have 20, yes, 20 teams in the first division this year. That's because the FPF and their infinite wisdom decided when they decided to cancel the season rather than to start next season as is. They decided nobody would be relegated and the eight teams remaining in the second division that, that advanced to the final phase of the second division would all be promoted, giving us a total of 20. So 
we'll see how this season goes, but it, it's very... Um, you're going to see a lot more 25 to nil results with this kind of a ruling. And it tells me that the FPF is not supporting women's football the way it should be. And um, we live in a day and age where the word discrimination is thrown out a lot. And it is thrown at, at um, it is thrown un, undeservingly sometimes. But in this case, this is a, a clear, uh, this is a clear example of discrimination. In my opinion, FPF is using the COVID uh, the COVID emergency as an excuse to uh, to stunt the growth of women's football, it appears. And it's not just Benfica, Sporting are going to lose players. Braga are going to lose. Braga have lost players, they've announced. Um, a lot of the foreign professionals, it's going to be hard to keep them in the league thanks to this this narrow-sided decision by the Federação Portuguesa de Football, the F. PF. All right, let's get back to the men's game now, and let's talk about round 27. I'm going to read off the results. We're going to go around the league now in Liga Nage round 27, starting last Sunday. The first match of round 27 was, of course, last Sunday. It was Gil Vicente 3, Avj 0. Vitor Oliveira picks up another three points for his side. Uh, as he is coaching his final matches in charge of Gil Vicente, as he's already announced he will be leaving the club at the end of the season under the guise or under the belief that it is his his duty has been completed, his mission has been accomplished. Portimones 3, Maritimo 2, Vitoria Stubo 1, Riwav 2, Benfica 3, Santa Clara 4, Futebol Clube do Porto 4, Boa Vista 0, Tondela 1, Passos de Ferreira 3, and Moreirense 1, Famalicão 1, and in the big Minho Derby, a, a very good football match, I might add, Sporting Braga 3, Vitória Guimarães 2. All right, sit right there, we're going to play Reconquista, and on the other side of Reconquista, we'll get into this absolute disaster that was Benfica Santa Clara round 27 of the Portuguese Liga Nage. This is Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho and I'll be right back. Jornada sofrida, a glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Até que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós Sagrado é peso pesado, não o carregas 
sozinho em cada esquina um vizinho Sinto o carinho do Algarve até ao Minho O vermelho pinta a Tuga e é isso o teu colinho Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo And welcome back to Mr. Benfica. This is episode 63, and we're going to talk about Benfica versus Santa Clara, of course. Disaster that was. So first, what we have to do, we got to go back in time to Tuesday, June the 23rd. And we're at the empty Stadio de Luz with 20, 30, 40,000 scarves in attendance. Many of you probably have your scarves there as well. As we have Benfica taking on their Azorian cousin, if you will. Uh, Club Desportivo Santa Clara. Alright, let's go to the lineups and we're going to start... With the visitors from the Azores, all right? In goal, Marco Rocha. Four across the back. The right back is former Orlando City and Chicago Fire right back, Rafael Ramos, who is also a graduate of the Benfica Academy. Uh, the pair in central defense, João Afonso and another Benfica Academy graduate, Fabio Cardoso. And after this match, I was wondering why Fabio Cardozo is not with us, given the way he played. He sets up the winning goal. We'll talk about that later, or I shouldn't say he sets it up, but he has the first the first action in the winning goal at the end of the match. And the left back is Zaudu Sanusi. Four across the midfield for Santa Clara, Shiku Ramuj. On the right with Anderson Carvalho teaming up with Iraq international Osama Rashid. Costinha is the left-sided midfielder. Carlos Jr. would pair up with Thiago Santana as the strike pair for the Azorians. Benfica will go with a very predictable lineup. Okay, Bruno Lage is really... Um, becoming quite predictable. Uh, okay, Odysseus Vlacodimos in goal. The back four. André Almeida on the right, Ruben Dias and Ferro as the centre-back pairing, and Nuno Tavares is the left-back in place, of course, of the injured Grimaldo. Across the midfield, Pizzi is the right-sided midfielder, while the tandem of Julian Weigel and Gabriel team up in the centre of midfield. And on the left is Rafa Silva up front. Adel Tarapt sits in behind Harris Seferovic, who was chosen over Carlos Vinicius and over Diego Souza for this one. Basically, Lige is just, if you score a goal, you start the next match. It's starting to look like that's the that's the uh, prerequisite for making the starting lineup when it comes to the starting strikers. And I can't, there's one place I'm not going to put much blame on Lige because no matter who he starts, the starter does not play well. Um, all three of these strikers who have such similar features all do much better coming in off of the bench. None of them seem to have as much success starting as they do coming off the bench. And now let's get right into the ticker as we look at it. And we'll start right from the beginning. And 
Hopes were up for this match. You know, if you're Benfica, you had to come in confident. You just pulled off a difficult road win against a decent Riwav team. Yeah, they were down to nine, but at least the team showed some fight and showed some heart. But in this one, it would be Benfica starting off better than better than Santa Clara. But, but the amount of chances were few and far between in the first half. Uh, Pizzi has an attempt blocked in the eighth minute. His right-footed shot from outside the box was blocked. Uh, we move forward and we get to. There's a lot of fouls in this game, but we get forward, and Ruben Diaz wins a free kick in the attacking half in the 14th minute, but the attempt is missed as the ball gets worked around after the free kick, and it finds its way to Nuno Tavares, but and he gets inside the defender. He actually does a good job as far as his movement off the ball here. But he gets his weaker right foot on the ball, and he does not have the control that he needs to have with that weaker foot, and he sends it high and wide. In the 16th minute, we see the first booking of the first half, and it's Anderson Carvalho of Santa Clara shown the yellow card for a foul on Adele Tarapt. Peasy with the free kick. It does, it, um, sorry, no. This free kick would be taken by Weigel. Weigel with the right-footed shot from outside the box. It was saved in the top center of the goal. The rebound comes out to Nuntavarish, who gets a good left-footed effort off on this one. And again, the goalkeeper makes the save in the top left corner. Nothing comes from the, the corner kick. However, um, really in this first half, I think another poor half from Gabriel. Gabriel has not been well since he's returned, and I'm I'm. I'm losing patience for finding him in the 11 every single week. I don't understand why Tarapt is not playing with Weigel at this point and why Chervi is not playing on the left with Rafa in behind the forward. It makes absolutely no sense right now why Bruno Lage is insisting on playing the same way every match. The only thing he changes is who plays in the number 9 position and it, or who's suspended. That's the only other changes that get made. It, it, there's absolutely no imagination. Like I said, something's not right because the he he even says, and the players say that they're doing as they're told, and all of a sudden, I'm supposed to believe that this manager has forgotten how to manage in a year, and it's not that simple. Something is going on behind the scenes. There's no question about it. As we move forward, we see in the 31st minute a card come out again, and this time it goes to Gabriel, and guess what? Gabriel is out of the next match, which will be Monday in Madeira Island against Maritimu. Um, so that takes care of that problem, I suppose, uh, as you're going to, you're not going to see Gabriel in the starting lineup Monday as he is suspended. You see a, now a chance in the 36th for Carlos Jr. Right footed shot from long range on the left side, misses just to the right. Rafa has his attempt missed in the 38th minute. Nice ball. Put in by Adele Tarapt once again. Adele puts the ball into space for Rafa to run onto. It's just Rafa in the goalie. It's a tight angle. It's coming down the right. It's not the best angle, but Rafa fails to lift the ball on his shot. So again, the goalkeeper who just makes himself wide falls. He goes down flat, making himself as long as possible, and he saves it with his leg. Um, very nice ball from Tarapt. And Rafa, again, he had the chance in, in previous matches 
to score in almost the same exact situation. He gets in behind the, the back line well, and it's just him and the goalie, but he fails to lift the ball over the goalkeeper's legs. The goalkeepers, when they come out right now, or re- lately, right, in this league at least, they don't come out making themselves big. What they do is they try to make themselves long. These goalkeepers fall, you know, they stretch themselves out wa- as wide as possible and try to cover as much ground along the ground Um and I think most of these goalkeepers are prime for uh, to be beat by a chip. But Rafa does not lift the ball again. And this time, the goalkeeper, Marco, makes the save. And just when it seems like, you know, Benfica are on the right foot and they're in control of the match in the 42nd minute, Ruben Diaz surrenders a corner kick. And once again... In suing corner kick. We've talked about corner kicks defensively. Not good. And initially, Benfica deals with this corner kick as they head it out. And it looks like Benfica are going to build a counterattack as Nuntavarš is on it down the left side. He begins to, to carry the ball out of the defensive end, out of his defensive zone. But then makes a horrible mistake when he's pressured. And instead of just playing the ball into space or clearing it or doing just about anything other than what he did. He tries to pass around around the, around the Anderson Carvalho as the player, and what he does is he just hits the ball right off of the Santa Clara midfielder, and the ball goes in behind Befica's back line as everybody is running up and trying to, to, pl- to, to advance out of the defensive zone. Now the ball's going the other way, and Anderson Carvalho is in alone because by the time the rest of the team is able to change directions, he's got to look at goal. And from the corner of the area down Santa Clara's right side, he slides the ball short post past Vlacodimus, and Santa Clara take the lead at Stadio Deluge. Benfica would try to respond in the 45th as uh, Seferovic will get a header and Nuntavaj gets forward again. He gets the ball down the left flank, delivers a a good cross to Seferovic, but his header from the center of the box misses to the right. Uh, It could have been a quick equalizer. Could have maybe maybe, um, changed the course of the match. Who knows? But it was not to be 45th plus 2. Fabio Cardozo of Santa Clara gets a, a header from the center of the box. He heads it high and wide after getting on the end of a Costinha cross. And that would be it. The referee would blow his whistle for halftime. And Benfica would go into the team room once again behind. Once again, Bruno Lage, who is becoming ever so predictable. You know what he's going to do. He's going to make two substitutions at halftime. He tends to do that. He It's becoming his halftime M.O. Now that he's got these extra substitutions, let's use them at halftime because that doesn't count as a stoppage. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably, even if you didn't see the match, you can probably guess what players are coming out because his substitutions are very much the same all the time. We'll talk about that in just a minute after this short break, all right? Uh, We'll be back with the second half right after this. This is Mr. Benfica, and I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu here with episode 63.
And in a surprise to absolutely no one, Bruno Lage goes to the bench at halftime. So, right off the bat, we've got two substitutions. Vinicius comes off for Seferovic. That's a substitution he has made. And I don't mean maybe that exact personnel, but striker for striker is a substitution he's made, I believe, in all four post-COVID break matches um, at halftime. I don't. It's just it just seems like that's his go-to when things aren't going well. Also, surprising everyone here. Well, not really surprising me. I think I think the clues were there, but um, what would we'd learn later would be a controversial decision. Gabriel is off, and Zivkovic, the Serbian international, is on. That's right. Zivkovic is on for the first time in 15 months. But you know what? Um, reports came out after the match that the players were very unhappy about this, and this is part of what the players revolted against Elijah about. But honestly, this was the right move. This is the best substitution that Lige has made since we've come back from the since the pandemic. You know, since the season was paused, this is the best substitution he's made because Zivkovic came in and was, in my opinion, one of the best two or three players on the pitch in the second half. Um, maybe the other team doesn't like it. We don't know. See, here's the thing. We don't know why Zivkovic was blacklisted, okay? We don't know why he got so far down in the pecking order. It's not his playing ability, okay? It's not his playing ability. He must have done something because... For his team to be so upset about this, it's, I mean, everybody else has had a chance. Why wouldn't you go to Zivkovic at this point? No one is is playing well enough to say they that he doesn't deserve to take their spot right now. So Zivkovic comes in, 45th, 45th minute, and as we move along, Benfica come out looking for the, for the equalizer early. And they get a corner right off the bat as Rafael Ramush puts it out for a corner. And on, on the ensuing corner, Fabio Cardozo, the center back for Santa Clara, will win a free kick fouled by Carlos Vinicius. But, he's, but Carlos Vinicius comes in hungry. Um, we move forward, and it doesn't take long. Like I said, Benfica came in looking like they were going to get it done. And in the 49th minute... 49th minute, we get this. So it's Rafa on a pass from Andre Almeida. Some nice combination play there between Almeida, Tarapt, and Zivkovic getting the ball in and Rafa getting himself in a position down the right. He puts it on his weaker left foot, but he places it perfectly into the far post and Benfica are level. And at this point, I think anybody, 
any Benficaistam, myself included, was feeling good about this. You know, at this point, the the goal we surrendered was a little bit of a fluke. Benfica were the better team throughout the majority of the match. They were creating more chances. Maybe they weren't great chances, but there was nothing... There was nothing going on at this stage in the match that hinted that Benfica were not gonna were not gonna chase this result and get a second, you know, and, and they would go on to do that, as you know. But it just man, it was so optimistic at this moment in the game in the 49th minute. 52nd minute and Santa Clara go to the bench, and it is Mamadou Kande coming on for the goal scorer Anderson Carvalho, as well as Nene coming on for Carlos Jr. So double substitution by João Henrique, the manager of Santa Clara. And Befica continue to put on the pressure, okay? However, once again, against the run of play, we talked about set pieces, and Befica concede a corner. Ruben Diaz concedes it, and it is another corner kick, this one being taken by the captain, Osama Rashidi, or Rashid, excuse me. And unfortunately... Once again, I got to call attention to if Nelson Verissimo is the you know the coach for set pieces. I you just have not seen anything change in these four matches. They're giving up goals left and right on set pieces, yet they don't change, or at least it's not visible to us watching any change in the way they defend them. Everyone's standing like statues. Rashid puts the ball right between the the backs, and. Sanusi gets himself in there, gets on the end of it, heads it into the goal. There's no chance for Odiseas. And once again, it's like the life is just sucked out of out of the team. Once again, Benfica's got all this momentum going. And once again, they, they make a foolish, foolish letdown, you know, in, in something that's very simple, which is marking. All right, set piece marking. And they let the less talented team get the better of them on these set pieces. There's no excuse for that. And once again, Benfica are playing from behind. And they would come out and in, in, in credit to Benfica on this one. They didn't drop the tempo. They continued to chase as if they had been just before they drew level. And it would not take Benfica long as it would come in the 62nd minute. And let's have a listen here as... Elder Kudut will call it. It is my cousin Vinny returning to the score sheet for Benfica. Carlos Vinicius gets to the right spot on a PZ corner kick, gets on the end of it, heads it past the goalkeeper, and ties the game right back up at two. It is all level once again at the Stade de Luge. And once again, if you're a Benfica fan, you had to be feeling confident that we've gotten over that hump. We've only given up goals on two flukes now, and we've worked our way back and scored two solid goals to to get ourselves back in contention, get ourselves back in the match. Ultimately, the three points would have put us at least for a little while in first place and would have put our rivals under some pressure in their game later on in the day. And it wouldn't take long at all. And, I mean, at this point, you were expecting, 
you were just expecting everything to, to go smoothly because three minutes later, we get this. Carlos Vinicius once again, this time on the end of a cross from Andre Almeida. Almeida picks up his second assist of the match. And why wouldn't you think that Benfica were going to go ahead and win this game at this point? They had come all the way back, taken the lead. Unfortunately, there were still 25 minutes left to play in the match, but you heard him there. And... Um, Elder Kundutu claiming at this point that you could hear the cars honking their horns from the Skun Circular, from the from the from the roundabout outside the stadium. I mean, it's not right outside the stadium; a little further down the road. But um, I find that hard to believe, to be honest, that he heard that from the studio. But it is what it is. I mean, it's a it's a nice uh, it's a nice visual, if that's the case, you know, to imagine. But definitely the you know. Every Benfica every that had to be on their feet cheering at this point because it felt like they were taking control of this match and it felt like they were really going to put the pressure on our rivals, on Porto. They were going to get the three points and force them to have to win. And, um, you know, our goal scorer is back. He gets his league leading, I believe that was his 18th goal of the season there. Another header. Rogério Matias, the color commentator, the co-commentator, makes a, a comment that, you know, it's directed at all of us. You know, people like me have said that Carlos Vinicius is not good in the air, not good with his head, and now he has two <laughs> two header goals. True. That is true. He, he he does have two header goals. That doesn't take away all the ones he's missed throughout the season uh, with his head. But, however, he did come through, and it looks like he is improving in that aspect of his game, and Benfica have the lead. And again, why would you not think that Benfica are going to see this one out? Well, we know our team better than that, don't we? 67th minute and Santa Clara will make another double substitution. Crisan comes on for Tiago Santana. And Zemanel comes on for Osama Rashid. And then Santa Clara makes another substitution in the 74th minute, they will bring on Diogo Sol- Salomão, replacing Costinha. Befica still in control, though, looking for a fourth. They had a few a few chances. And then we get to the 79th minute. And now here is where... Now, I was on Twitter at this point, and I know I, it was respectable, but... Um, respectful, I should say, but I found I was in some disagreement with some of you. Um, as to this one, but originally the ball is thrown in and cleared, and Santa Clara are asking for a penalty kick, 
play continues until it is out of play. And at that point, um, at that moment, the referee will go to the screen. He covers his ear, listens in his earpiece, goes to the screen to review the play with VAR. And so I've reviewed this one a few times. Okay. I'm sorry, but... Okay, this is a two-fold problem, okay? The VAR got this wrong. There's no way you can sum it up, okay? You can't just analyze whether or not Ruben's hand hit the ball. That, If that's the case, then yeah, it hit his, his hand hit the ball. It's, it's a penalty kick. But you have to analyze the entire play. And then when you go back, it starts with the throw. The Santa Clara player throwing the ball in, first of all, steps onto the field when he throws the ball. Okay, he steps onto the field. That's the first thing, making that an invalid throw. So if you're reviewing it like you're supposed to be, you're rolling it all the way back to the start of the play, which is the throw, and he steps on the field. You can see it. Even when it's zoomed way out, just with our view, we you could see it. Second, ball comes into Fabio Cardozo. Fabio Cardozo is backing down Ruben Diaz. Fabio Cardozo is fouling Ruben Diaz. Okay? I've watched it over and over. There's no way you cannot just back into a player and stay on the ground and prevent the player from going forward into the ball when the ball is in the air. You cannot. You have to go up. Okay? You have to go up straight up and give both players a chance to get to the ball. Both players have a right to that ball. You don't get to to assume a position in the post like in basketball, all right, square up and back down your defender and prevent him from going into the ball. So what happens is the way Fabio Cardozo is backing him down, he forces Ruben to, first of all, jump kind of into him. He doesn't allow Ruben to jump all the way up because he's he's making contact with him. You cannot look at that and say he's not making contact with him. And then Ruben, in a immature and childish mistake, Instead of worrying about defending, okay, and getting that ball out of danger, he decides he wants to to shout for the call and decides to throw his arm up in the air like he's going to win a foul that way. And what he does is he puts his hand right onto the ball, okay? That's not excusable. So when I say that, when I criticize the VAR and the referee, they got it wrong, okay? There is a foul that, that causes that handling of the ball, okay? Well, I shouldn't say that it causes it. No. There is a foul before he handles the ball, okay? He decides to throw his hands up in the air. This is a little different than the one at the Dragon where, where Ferru loses control of himself and his, his arm goes flying. This is slightly different. This one, I believe, Ruben throws his arm up in the air. And I think that's why the the referee in the VAR decided that it's a penalty because he was trying to, to, to get a call and he threw his hand up. His hand was not forced up by the contact. However, the contact is still a foul. Either way, the referee gives the penalty kick. I know not everyone's going to agree with me on that one, but when I watch it and I analyze it, that's what I see. Okay, I see a penalty. I see a foul on Fabio Cardozo before the handling of the ball. I do see the handling of the ball, and even before the foul on on Fabio Cardozo, I see the player throwing the ball in from Santa Clara and stepping over the sideline. Either way, Crisan steps up for Santa Clara and converts the penalty kick right-footed shot to the bottom left corner, sending Odie the wrong way, and it is 3-3. Three three. 
and once again the air just comes out of the out of the I guess not of the stadium there's nobody in the stadium but it came out of me so I'm assuming it came out of the players you work that hard to come back and to take the lead and to have the three points in front of you you just got to hold them and then that happens so wrapping that up while I think the call was wrong Ruben is not free of of blame either he he had no need to throw his hand up in the air like that so when you need a goal, right, and you're Bruno Lage, what do you do? Who do you go to? We're gonna do. Let's. We're gonna play a game of let's make the same substitutions we always make. Diego Souza comes in for Adele Tarapt. Of course, extra forwards. They don't know how to play together. These these forwards do not combine at all. It's like. When he subs on an, an additional striker, and you play with two strikers, whether it's Diego Souza and it's Seferovic, or it's Diego Souza and it's Carlos Vinicius partnering up, they do not team up. You end up getting two two guys doing the same thing. So you know you end up really going down to ten players because you got two guys making one between them, and then the other substitution that makes zero sense when you need a goal. Why are you bringing on Franco Cervi for Pizzi? And I, I think Cervi should be starting. Okay, I think perhaps that first goal it could be prevented if he, if he's there. He's probably in a better position, and Tavares is able to find him. He's providing defensive cover when he's playing there. No, you're gonna bring in a defense. Minded, or you should at least say, characteristically speaking, a better defensive outside midfielder for an all-offensive outside midfielder, PZ. No matter how bad PZ is playing, this is a horrible tactical switch. Makes absolutely no sense. I have no idea what Bruno Lage is thinking at this point. Maybe he has his reasons. Maybe PZ has to come out. Who knows? I highly doubt it. But two substitutions, I think, that further hinder Benfica's ability to get back and to steal the three points and to get a fourth goal. And you can see right away the two strikers do not work together at all. They make the same run. They're never playing off of each other. They don't know how to combine with each other. Carlos Vinicius would have a chance for the hat trick in the 87th minute. He has a left-footed shot from the center of the box. It's close, but it misses wide right off of... Another Andrea Almeida cross. Almeida having himself a decent game, but then, then it happens. Let's go into into stoppage time, and you heard it at the opening of the show. Okay, once again, it's Benfica struggling with a set defending a set piece. It's cleared. It goes to it goes to Fabio Cardozo, who who does a nice little fake, but the. And I don't remember who the Benfica player is off the top of my head that falls for it horribly, but it is a he goes to fake a pass all the way back to the goalie, and then turns sharply towards Benfica's end of the of the goal. Does not even look, just fires a nice diagonal ball into the space where he believes the Benfica backline are pulling up, and he fires it diagonally in behind where he thinks they are, and he's right. And running onto it is Zamanel. Okay, he gets onto it. He finds his he finds his teammate Creason. Creason loses the ball at first, but then Ferru 
in a an absolute blunder, and we've had more than one of these from him. He he kicks the ball off of Ruben Dias. Once again, Benfica moving in one direction. They go to clear the ball, and the ball is going in the other direction towards their own goal. Nobody is on their toes at this point because they're all running in the other direction. And Crisan gets it again. He passes it to Zemanel. Zemanel takes a touch inside, puts it on his right foot. Nuntavaj is trying to recover. And in the ultimate <laughs> of, of unfortunate um, s- sequence of events, not only does he get the shot off, but this shot would have been going right at Odie if not for the outstretched foot of Nuno Tavares trying to block the shot. He redirects it, and it goes in past Odie, and Santa Clara steal the three points from the Stadio de Luz. This is the first time in the history of football in Portugal that Benfica have lost to Santa Clara. Think about that for just a minute in all the years. Santa Clara was founded in 1927. Benfica founded in 1904. Santa Clara has never beaten Benfica before. Santa Clara is the Benfica of the Azores. Why do they have the same logo? It's easy, okay? A simple history lesson. In the old days, the A's, teams from the Azores, Madeira, were treated like teams from Cabo Verde, Angola, Mozambique. They would do not they would not enter in the Portuguese league. They had their own championship. So most a lot of teams in the Azores look just like the big three. Okay? Santa Clara is just the only one to ever get promoted all the way to the first division. No different than say some of the teams in the mainland also. Salgueiros has a Benfica element to their founding. Benfica Castel Branco in the in the third division in the Campeonato Nacional Seniors. Same exact logo as Benfica. It's just Sport Castel Branco in Benfica. Okay? Founded by Benfica fans. Santa Clara is the same founding, okay? Um they took on the 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 image of Benfica. They were in the past getting players from Benfica a long, long time ago. Okay. Eventually the Azorian football was integrated into the Portuguese ca- uh, pyramid as was Madeiran football and that's why Maritimo has been in the first division for so many years and why Nacional and Union Madeira have been there before also. Um, these these two regions were absorbed they were always part of the federation but they were absorbed into the pyramid whereas the the overseas provinces never were the others okay of course those are independent countries today whereas the azores and madeira are still part of portugal um or their autonomous regions of portugal to be more exact but that's why santa clara looks just like benfica and um this is i know a bittersweet moment for some Azorian Befikish, there's no doubt. Many of you, Santa Clara is your local club and is the club you support. And a lot of Azorians support Befica because they support Santa Clara. There is a connection there. Okay. Um, so it's a it's a bittersweet for some of you, I know. Myself, not so much. Okay, my mother's Azorian, but um my second team is my father's hometown. It is Caldish Sport Club, my my local club. But Benfica is first. Okay, I guess I would put Santa Clara as my third team in that um, I want them in the first division and I want them, you know, I want the Azores represented in the first division. But, you know, this that's no consolation at all. Um, heartbreaking loss. Heartbreaking to be a Mayfikista right now. As you can just see the, the championship down the toilet. We were ahead by seven points. We could have gone up by ten. 
and we and now we find ourselves behind three, and it, you don't know if we're going to get another victory the way the, this team is, is just performing. They're just making mistakes that are childish, and yes, some of this is because of the model of wanting to promote within. Fabio Cardozo is a better center back than Ferru. This game shows it. Why is it? Is he too old? Is that why he's not, you know, in the in the in the picture? I mean, who's evaluating this talent? First of all, and this goes back to to the president and his unwillingness to to invest in this in this roster. Okay. With that said, this roster is good enough to win the Portuguese league. Okay, that's not an excuse. This roster is better than any other roster in the Liga Nage from top to bottom. And there's no excuse for being in second place, being three points behind. What we all agree is the worst Porto that we have seen in our lifetime. Very, very frustrating. We're going to go to the goal point in just a moment. Okay, but I want to finish by... Or I want to wrap up talking about this this match before we go to the goal point. And um, you could see on the faces of some of the players. You could see it on Samadij's face, as always. The just frustration. You could see it on Peasy's face. He he, you know, he was fighting the tears. If it, these players look like they felt like they lost the title, the problem is that you know when they're on the field, they're not using that emotion to to work and to. And I wouldn't even say that this match actually was a lack of work rate because they worked to get three goals coming from behind. So the work rate was there. It's just the execution was so poor and so elementary. These mistakes are so elementary. They're not excusable. And you can't win. in your, You can't build a European club with eight homegrown players like the president wants to. If that's his platform, he needs to go. There's a lot of other reasons he needs to go. But that's a big one because we're not going to get anywhere that way. Not even Barcelona gets that kind of homegrown, you know, influence. Not not Ajax. You think Sporting never was was never successful with eight homegrown players in the starting lineup. It just it doesn't work that way. You need experience. This team lacks experience. This back line has an average age of 23 years old in a position where the best players are, are around 30. How do you expect to win titles like this? We have we have five or six matches left this season. We have six matches left to play and a cup final. Before it's too late, this club needs to make the right change. They need to make a deal with Bruno Lage. To move him on, and they need to bring in a manager that can still turn this around this season. I don't think they're going to do that, and I think they're going to see this out until the end of the season or until he loses again and the title is completely out of range, which is idiotic. That's the mistake Vieta made last year. He got bailed out because he got lucky because we had a miracle where Benfica came back from seven points down to win the league. This year, we're the team that dropped the seven-point lead. All right, let's go to the goal point. So starting with the Victoria side, Santa Clara, they had a team average of 5.9 with a 1.7 expected goals. They scored four when they were expected 1.7. Um, 
in goal. Marco had a 6.7. Rafael Ramos, the right back, 4.8. João Alfonso, the João Afonso, the center back, had a rough day at 3.6. He was beaten by Vinicius on both of his goals. Fabio Cardoso rated 5.7. And Zaidu with a 5.9. Across the midfield, we had... Costinho with a 4.7, Francisco Ramos 5.6, Anderson Carvalho 6.3, Os- Osama Rashid 5.0, up front Carlos Jr. 3.6, and Thiago Santana 4.0, substitutes Nene 5.2, Mamadou 5.2, Kryzan, for uh, 6.4, Zemanel 6.0, and Diogo Salomon 4.7. Benfica, with a team average of 5.59, expected goals 1.4 for Benfica. Um, they scored four. They scored three. So both of these teams scored more goals than the than they, I guess, deserve to. If if you go by this statistic that a lot of people like nowadays, it's a, a statistic that's heavily relied on by coaches and coaching staffs. Flaco Dimos 5.3, Andre Almeida with a 6.9, one of his best better performances. Ruben Diaz 4.9, Ferro 5.2, Nuntavaj 4.6. He would be Benfica's low point. Um, Rafa 4.7, Gabriel 5.2, Weigel with a 6.4, staying consistent. Pizzi 5.4, he's been in a slump. He picked up, a, he did pick up an assist in this one, but he's he's been in a in a horrible slump. Seferovic with a 4.9. And Adele Tarap puts in a man-of-the-match performance or MVP performance in terms of the goal point rating with a 7.2. For the substitutes, Zivkovic, 5.7, and Vinicius, 6.6. Cherdi and Diego Souza did not play enough to earn a rating. Let's go to the statistics, okay? And we have here, here's the man, so for the MVP the MVP rating here for Adel Terapt is a little bit of what his day looked like. He had two shots, one on goal. He had he had a pass. It says a pass de ruptura. I believe he that means he broke a line with the pass. He had one 88% efficiency of his passes. He was five for five on long passes. So five long passes attempted, five long passes connected. Four of four on dribbles, so he dribbled four times and beat his man four times, suffered three fouls. And the final of the game stats now. Total shots, Benfica 15, Santa Clara 8. Shots on goal, Benfica 8, Santa Clara 6. Shots from inside the areas, Benfica 7, Santa Clara 6. Pass efficiency, Benfica 79% to Santa Clara 67%. Um, efficiency for the vertical pass, Benfica 56% to Santa Clara's 41. Benfica 76 duels won to 52. So that tells me they did work hard. This wasn't a, a matter of working in this match. It was all about executing corners. Benfica 4, Santa Clara 7. And possession went to Benfica 61% to 39. So, ironically... um. The stats say that Benfica, well, Benfica won most of the statistics, but again, in the expected goals statistic, Santa Clara were were fractionally better. So it's hard to say, but um, 
This was a tough result, okay? As bad as they played, I think it's it's slightly a unjust or just harsh result for Benfica. It's hard to say that right now, I know, um, as we're all pretty upset with the way that this, this match played out and where this team is right now. Um, but if this match was a lot, you know, an outlier, if this wasn't over a string of matches leading up to this, we would probably think that Benfica just got unlucky. But this is week after week the same thing. Let's look at the Liga Nage now and where we stand heading into the next round as I'm bringing up the standings right now for you. And so we have now in the table, top of the table, first place is Porto. They would win later in the day, 4-0 at home to Bovista, as we said, on the night of the Festa de São João, the Feast of St. John, very big night in the city of Porto. Porto have 67 points, Benfica second on 64. Third now, Sporting on 52. They won again today. They have an extra, they they. Actually, the round closed out today with their victory 3-1 over Bolinesad. Um, I did not read that score off in in the news section as I thought that was part of round 28. But Well, that was round 28, excuse me. So we're headed into round 29 now. I stand corrected. Um, yeah, Sporting with 52 points. Fourth place is Braga with 50 points. Fifth is Fumalicão, 45 points. That is a Europa League spot this year as the Portuguese Cup will be won by either Porto or Benfica. Teams already headed for Europe. One point behind Fumalicão is Riuav in sixth place with 44 points. They have Braga next, so that's a big game for next week. Seventh place is Vitória Guimarães on 40 points. Santa Clara now eighth on 38. They an interesting stat that the manager of Santa Clara de João Henrique said in the post game presser is that if you look at the if the second half of the season was its own table, Santa Clara would be in third place right now, which is pretty impressive. Ninth place is Moreirense with thirty five points. Tenth place is Bovista also on thirty five points. Eleventh is Gil Vicente on thirty three. Pas Ferreira twelfth with thirty one points, while. Vitoria Stubal, Willenis Saad, share 13th and 14th places with a with 30 points. Tondela's 15th with 29. Maritimo now 16th with 28. They get closer and closer to the drop zone. They're only four points safe right now as Portimones is in 17th place with 24 points and Avj all but relegated officially. It's all but mathematically official at this point as they are in 18th place with 14 points. Let's look at the top scorers in the league right now. And Vinicius is top of the league. He's got, it says here, 17 goals. Pizzi has 15. Fabio Abreu, Paulinho, and Mehdi Taremi all have 11, while Sandro Lima is 6th with 10. Assists, we have PZ leading in the assist column once again. He has 11 assists as my my page has crashed. One moment here. All right, so he has 11 assists. Uh, Tecatito Corona second with eight. Lincoln of Santa Clara has six, as does Grimaldo and Carlos Manet. All right, so lastly, let's look at what we have coming up in round 29, which begins on 
It begins on the 28th of June. That is Sunday. We have Boa Vista hosting Santa Clara. On Monday, we've got Avs hosting Morirense, Maritimo hosting Benfica, Passos Ferreira hosting Futebol Clube do Porto. Benfica's kickoff time on Monday will be at 1 o'clock Eastern time here in, on the eastern half of the United States, which is 10 a.m. Pacific time, and it is 6 p.m. Portuguese uh, Lisbon time. On June 30th, on Tuesday, the league continues with Famalicão hosting Portimonense, Vitória Guimarães hosting Vitória Stubel in the, ba- the derby das Vitórias, and Rio Ave hosting Braga. July the 1st, we have Buenos Sad hosting Tondela and Sporting hosting Gil Vicente. All right, before we go today, before we go this week, I just have a few more things to mention for everyone. And just a few thoughts, really. Um, I didn't I didn't mention this in the news segment, and I meant, meant, I meant to, but earlier this week it was reported that BTV will not hold a debate for the presidential candidates coming up this fall in in. October's election um, for the presidency of Benfica, of course, as you know, there are now three, I believe, opposition candidates. Um, this is very simple. It's because Luis Felipe Vieira does not want to debate, and he's in charge. And BTV has really turned into, unfortunately, a a propaganda arm for his administration. It's become an absolute... Um, I mean, the journalism is questionable on there, and and it's unfortunate because I think those are talented journal journalists, and I don't put the blame on them. I don't put the blame on Elder Conduto Rogério Matias or on you know on um, Andrea Magalhães or on anybody else. You know, on João Bernard or whoever it is. Okay, I don't put the blame on any of them. Um, I put the blame on the producers putting talking into their ears. And on whoever's telling the producers what needs to be said, which undoubtedly, if you follow the trail, it'll go all the way back to the president. Okay, so I I have an idea. I have an idea. If BTV won't hold a debate, what if Benfica Independent and all the great work they've been doing, okay, and a shout out to the guys at Benfica Independent, you know, they're keeping me informed. What if Benfica Independent hosted a debate with just the opposition uh, candidates and let them have at it with Luis Felipe Vieira? Put it out as a podcast. Put it out as a YouTube video. Do whatever you want. And um, let let the Benfiquistas, let the Saucius hear what these candidates are going to do, what they want will do as president of Benfica. Yes, the uh, the, the odds are stacked against them especially with three. I think really they should get together and figure out which one of them has the best chance to beat Vieta and all get behind the same candidate. That's my personal take on it. And this, I'm no political scientist, but um, you know, you're splitting the opposition vote three ways the, with, with three opposition candidates because Vieta's got his base. In order to beat him, I think he's got to face just one person. Um, and I will back that person, okay? If, if, if there is one opposition candidate, Mr. Benfica, you hear it here, endorses the opposition candidate against Luis Felipe Vieira. All right, change needs to be made. We're going in the wrong direction. The man, Luis Felipe Vieira, has done what he needs to do, okay? The, the books are balanced, okay? But he's got too many side projects that are that are 
you know, that are pulling funds away from what matters, which is the team on the pitch, the football team on the pitch. Okay, the Mudalidads are in trouble. They're not where they need to be either. For people who 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 like those, and I'm one of them, I'm not happy with where the Mudalidads are right now, and I want to hear. You know, I want the pressure put on the president about all of this. I want to see players brought in. I want to see a manager brought in. Okay, we didn't really get into into what I think about the manager. Other than that, I what I said that I think the most realistic and likely one might be Marco Silva. I'd be okay with that. I know not all of you are are gonna are gonna agree to that. And I've already read since I started recording this this episode from when I began recording it earlier. Um, I've already read that there's a report that George Zouz has already turned down, you know, Benfica at this time, and he's not—he's not dumb. He's not going to leave a good situation to come to a, a dumpster fire and not be given the funds and the players he wants to. He must have been told he's not going to get what he wants. Um, we'll see how this plays out, but unfortunately, I think the club is going to wait too long. Okay, and they're not going to make a change until this 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 championship is completely out of reach. Which makes no sense because we still have five matches left in the league. And we have a very important cup final that becomes ever more important now that we've lost the league. Or assuming we go on to lose the league. That cup final becomes even more important. So really I I, I don't like to advocate for a coach to lose his job. But I just don't see how he can continue to do his job in these conditions. In this environment. Okay, the man has no support. That's why he lost it in the in the press conference. Why he he came up with that, and it's just gonna get worse because he knows he's on his own right now. He feels on his own, and he's fighting for survival by by throwing you know throwing haymakers with his words. He's way out of his, his element, and I do think that this club needs to make a decision. It should have been done before Monday's game with Maritimo. I don't see that happening, but um. The way this club is being run is not good from a sporting standpoint, okay? And like I said, I would love to hear the three opposition candidates on one platform talking and debating with each other about how to go, how to change what Luis Felipe Vieira is doing. If he doesn't want to be there to speak for himself, that's his loss. Let's do it anyway. If anybody independent hears this, um, is listening, and if there's any way you can make it happen, that's just my suggestion, man. Just my suggestion. You guys, Benfica Independent has been able to get all kinds of fantastic guests. They clearly have connections to two people inside of Benfica, and um, or Benfica greats, and I think they could get these these opposition candidates together to have a debate. I I don't see why any candidate running against Luis Felipe Vieira does not want an opportunity to voice his opinion and his plan and his platform for what he would do as president of Benfica. So I leave you with that this week. All right, I'd say enjoy the match Monday, but um, I'm just gonna say hope hopefully. We'll be able to enjoy the match Monday. We'll see about that. Um, it's not going to be easy, of course. And with two more starters missing, some changes will have to be made. But maybe the right changes will be made. Honestly, um, there's not been enough changes in this team. And if the players don't like the manager making changes or playing certain players, that's on them. That's a lack of professionalism. They should be focused on what is best for Benfica, for Sport Lisboa Benfica, and not their personal feelings about a teammate. That's the way I see it. Of course, I, I'm i not on the end. 
I'm not in there. I don't see everything. I don't know what's going on behind the closed doors. None of us do. So I can only only give you my opinion on that which I know. So that's where I stand on that. All right. Thank you for listening to episode 63. Remember, follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mister, on Instagram at Mister Benfica, on Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash Mister Benfica, and check out my YouTube channel as well as today the opening segment from this show will air there as a video um, scheduled to air in a, about 30 minutes from now. I as I sit here Friday night, June the 26th, 9:15 p.m. It's, it's supposed to go up at 9:45. So by the time you hear this. Um, it should be up, hopefully, if there's no uh, more technical difficulties. And before the match Monday, I'll try to get a YouTube video up also talking about a little bit of a preview for this Maritimu match. And don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube page as well. Thank you, everybody, again for sticking with me through this long episode. Um, I know we're all suffering this together. This Benfica team is really making us tear our hair out right now. And it, but um, our support is unwavering, as you all know. So by the time that ball kicks off on Monday, it's going to be Forza Benfica, Carrega Benfica, Damo 38. Hashtag Eu Acredito. We got to believe. Until it's over, we got to fight. Have a good weekend, everybody. Enjoy the match on Monday. Forza Benfica.